Welcome to the NJ Criminal Podcast and part two in this series. So the the policy also has a couple addendums. Um, and one of the addendums deals with uh, the, you know, if and when uh, a law enforcement officer in New Jersey would be permitted to use what is known as conducted energy devices and other less lethal devices and ammunition. Talk to me about that. What's that all about? Well, um, probably, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, the Attorney General's office added um, enhanced mechanical force, which basically dealt with the tasers or the the electronic control weapons. Um, They made it a little bit more stricter to use that type of force uh, I remember, other parts. actually, I was a prosecutor at the time, and they required, my recollection is that any officer that was going to carry a taser had to get tased. Yes, I, know, I believe that's... To know I, what it felt like. I have not been through the taser training specifically, because I've been a detective for now for probably 16, 17 years. So I wasn't on patrol when we had them. Um, tasers did not come to New Jersey probably until about 2010. Um, so I never had to go through that training, but it's certainly uh, a higher degree to have to use that that force option. Now, New Jersey was still a force option state. Um, what, does that changes, mean? Again, what does that mean? Well, basically, it's, it's very difficult to say you can and can't use this force option in each particular incident. Every officer is different. You start getting to um, weight, size, height, experience of different officers. What may apply to one officer may not necessarily apply to another. Uh, so it just depends on the circumstances of each individual um, use of force encounter. Uh, when it comes to the uh, the tasers, like you know, some other parts of the country, they're pretty. Um, they're not as strict as New Jersey. New Jersey's got strict guidelines for using tasers. They don't want police officers indiscriminately using that particular force option, and they're scrutinized uh, pretty. Uh, harshly when when they are used so uh, you certainly have to have the specialized training for that um, and you have to be just like any other force option that you use you have to be prepared to explain your actions and uh, what happened what you did and why you did it as an officer let me ask you a question just going back for a minute to use of deadly force is it is it true that if an officer uh, discharges a weapon uh, a firearm and is has has made the decision under the facts and circumstances of the situation that he or she is in to use deadly force that they are they are not shooting to wound right is that right when police officers use deadly force they, they're shooting to stop the threat okay that's that's basically they're stopping whatever threat they're perceiving at the time and they're and perceiving so if it's, that if they, it's deadly force then the proportional use of force would be deadly Correct. Okay. Um, so you you really have to perceive, make sure you perceive in the right uh, circumstance, and, and you know you can't use deadly force just because someone shoplifted and they're uh, resisting or running away from you. You have to be ready to justify your actions of, of uh, death or seriously bodily injury to you or someone else. I mean that's that sets off uh, when you when you have an officer involved shooting or deadly force incident. That sets off uh, a whole set of circumstances. Uh, and a special investigation that happens into those type of incidents. And I was part of that for uh, over 14 years. Um, it's it's a case, uh, an investigation like no other. You really, 
as a detective and a supervisor in, in situations like that, you really have to make sure you cover everything. Um, although as a detective, you don't give your opinion on investigations, whether it's a, a homicide case or an officer involved shooting, your job is to gather the facts uh, and gather as much information as you can. That way the trier of fact can decide uh, whether the use of force was reasonable or not. But they can't do that if you don't have all the facts. Um, I've read um, other agencies' investigations into use of force, and uh, they certainly don't cover everything that they probably should. Um, and that's that could come back to them um, if it goes to a civil trial or a criminal case or you know, whether it's administrative um, possibilities at the end on the officer. You really have to make sure you investigate it thoroughly and leave no stone left unturned. Without without giving me any, obviously, any specific cases, but just some hypothetical examples of scenarios that you can think of where there is there may be a, a different requirement uh, of a police officer in a certain situation compared to, you know, the, the old directive versus the new directive. Can you think of any kind of spe- hypothetical examples to, to kind of illustrate how this new directive is different? Well, you certainly, they, they added this time uh, the proportionality of the force. Is that the big, um, is not, that a big highlight of the difference? This, this, uh, I guess it's uh core principle. Number two includes this proportionality. Yes. Okay. Um, not just what force option you, you, you decide to utilize, but the extent that you utilize it. Um, again, you can't just use deadly force on someone that's just because they're shoplifting and just because whatever the instance is, just because you're justified in using force, at some point you have to de-escalate whether that subject um, is no longer a threat to you or no longer resisting. Uh, you have to come down at some point. You can't just continuously keep using it uh, infinitely um, as long as you want. Right, but how so is that different from how the policy was before? I mean, you, you really, well, they, officers they, 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 never could have used deadly force for shoplifting, right? No, but when it comes to the proportionality, they really explain and go into that uh, a lot more. And officers really uh, have to be cognizant of the ability to de-escalate. Uh, that's the big uh, one of the big buzzwords that came around in the new guidelines. And then every officer in the state of New Jersey had to be trained in de-escalation. Um, you know, nowadays they really want you to use time, distance, uh, space, cover. Uh, try to call for backup using verbal communications as opposed to, I don't know, it wasn't only really a top, but more of the mentality years ago was police officers kind of rushed into the scene. They don't want you to rush in anymore unless you absolutely have to. If you or someone else's life is in danger or something like that, uh, that's one thing. But if you have the ability to kind of step back and try to uh, verbally de-escalate the situation with the individual so you don't have to use force, that's what they that's what they prefer you to do if it's possible if it's feasible you can't always do that um so that's why that it sounds like i don't know if i'd want to be a a law enforcement officer nowadays i mean it sounds like there's a lot of very um fact specific split second decision making that has to happen well that's true because that's why that's the exact uh, standard that came out of grand versus connor they they couldn't give a a definition of what objective reasonableness meant. But they say that we understand officers have to make split-second judgments on the circumstances that are tense, uncertain, and rapidly evolving. 
the amount of force in, in each particular case. And it's what the officer knew at the time, uh, not the vision of 2020 hindsight. So it is very difficult to have to digest all the new material, especially if, you are, if you've already had 10, 15, 20 years on doing it one way, and now they kind of want you to take a step back. And you, know, you, you can't just change that mentality overnight. It kind of takes time to be able to do that. Uh, that comes with the training and, and, you know, keeping up on the updates on force and uh, case laws that come out. Um, did it's every, important. Did it's every certainly... officer have to get trained? Yes, every was officer. That like in hand, was that like a hands-on training or how was, what was that like? Yes, hands-on. Got it. You, and you uh, were, classroom. Are you involved classroom. now going forward in trainings? Uh, I will be. I'm. I'm a. Uh, yes. Uh, it's called ICAT, Integrated Communications and Tactics. That's basically de-escalation. Uh, I am as instructor in that, and will be teaching it. So uh, I'll be doing that uh, shortly in the coming months. Um, but you know, I like I said, you know, the, the world of policing has changed, and the officers kind of have to change with it. Yeah. And if you don't want to change, then you can probably uh, try to find a new career. Yeah. Right. Now, I, we talked a minute ago, there's a couple addendums to this use of force policy, one related to use of devices such as tasers. There's also an addendum related to vehicular pursuits. Um, is, is the topic of vehicular pursuits under the umbrella of use of force, is that something that, that you also testify about, or can you speak to that at all? Uh, certainly, vehicle pursuits is definitely not my expertise. Um, I don't. I'd Why do you think it was included as a kind of an addendum to the use of force policy? Is it just because it's kind of goes hand in hand in some circumstances, or? Well, when you talk about use of force throughout the country, uh, a lot of times pursuits and use of force kind of go hand in hand. So that's kind of why they kind of do things like that together. Um, but they certainly the danger that can that comes from vehicular pursuits to either the police to the person that they're chasing, or just to innocent people either walking or driving down the street. It's just astronomical. It's, it's not worth being in a pursuit. Unless you're chasing someone for one of those enumerated crimes that they, they talk about, like murder or manslaughter or carjacking or something like that, uh, it's just not worth it. I mean, sometimes uh, you have to, as a police officer, you have to learn to live to fight another day. Um, and I teach that when I do teach use of force, that it's, you know, most of the time it's just not worth it. You have to take that step back and rely on uh, your investigative ability or the assistance of you know detectives in your department to follow up and uh, apprehending that person later. It's just not there's too much risk involved, not just your own safety, the other person's safety, as well as you know innocent people walking down the street. There's nothing worse than uh, having a civilian uh, being killed that wasn't even part of the situation at all. So that's. That's kind of why they came up with that, and that's and that's also uh, kind of going along out throughout the country is uh, restricting the police officers' ability to pursue uh, in certain circumstances. The uh, the the policy also includes um, the ability for the public to access certain data related to use of force. Are, are you familiar with that? Are you able to speak to that at all, or no? Yes, the. Um, the Attorney, General Office, uh, Attorney General's Office started a database uh, that every officer has to go into when they report the use of force. Now, before this database started, we were all doing our own reporting anyways within our own departments. Now it's you know, basically a centralized uh, database kept 
and maintained by Attorney General's office, which they are going to make um, available to the public uh, for each officer, I guess, in the entire state. Or I mean, you know, they're probably Basically, not going to any officer, any officer who's who is involved in a a situation where there's use of force. There's certain, obviously, forms and things they need to fill out, and they have to do that within a certain period of time. It's got to be uploaded and accessible. Is it almost like a, a public records type thing? Or Yeah. The, I've never gone into it. I've never had a reason to look. But uh, from what I understand, uh, the public, if they haven't already, can go in and check the uses of force by each particular officer. Uh, I don't think they're going to give each uh, specific details in each individual case, but they can, I think they can track how many uses of force each officer has. And obviously, that just depends on your environment, typically, and where you're working. Uh, if you work in a small, um, affluent community, you know, the use of forces is probably not going to be high. But if you work in a very um, urban area, like Newark or Irvington, Camden, the use of force is probably going to be high. Or unless you have some other specialized unit that you're working, like the, a fugitive task force or something along those lines, you're typically going to have more use of force because that's what you, uh, the situation you're dealing with almost on a daily basis. Thanks again for tuning in. And don't forget to subscribe anywhere you listen.